All right, before we open the Bible, I want to ask you guys a, a question to think about. Uh, have you ever, and when I say ever, I mean ever, have you ever pretended or ignored a sickness or injury in your life? Uh, you know, you, you pretended that something wasn't as bad as you thought it was, or you just ignored it altogether because you didn't want to deal with the reality. You have. You have. And I have too. Uh, this time of year, every year, is a fresh reminder for me because I think about wrestling season. Uh, I wrestled my freshman year of college, and there was this unique thing that happened my freshman year of college. We were about six weeks into the season. My ear started looking all funny, and it wasn't cauliflower ear, all right? I'll tell you that. I did have cauliflower ear at one point. It was not cauliflower ear. It just started looking funny. And at that time, I chalked it up to a lot of different things. I was like, oh, maybe the air is really dry. Uh, maybe the laundry detergent I'm using is making me break out. Uh, you know, maybe I, I've developed a new allergic reaction. Came up with all these excuses. Tried treating it in a lot of different ways. You know, putting different lotion on my ear. Taking different like allergy medications, drowsy and non-drowsy, just tried it all. And what ends up happening about two weeks into this process is I'm in our wrestling room hearing our coach make an announcement. Hey guys, just wanted to let you know, Tanner, who is our 174 pounder, uh, recently got diagnosed with Matt herpes. Yeah, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's herpes on your, on your face, on your head, on your back, because of the sport of wrestling, right? You share bacteria. It's really kind of a gross sport sometimes. But uh, the scary thing about Matt herpes is you can be incredibly contagious before you ever show any symptoms. And so over the course of the next six days, 14 of us all had Matt herpes. And I do say us because I was included in that. And by the time I was in to see a doctor, it was not just on my ear. It had spread completely into my hairline and was like taking over my head. It was freaking disgusting. It was awful. And so when I got this diagnosis, first off, humiliating, right? I'm like, I have freaking herpes? Seriously? Uh, we had to go to this pharmacy in Indianola. And the pharmacist, not going to lie, she was kind of cute at the time. I was like, hey, she probably just graduated college with a pharmacy degree. And we had to go and pick up Valtrex. And this is the exact same prescription that somebody would take if they got herpes of a different kind. And it was humiliating. To make matters worse, one of my friends, when he steps up to the counter, says, college. And I was like, nah, dude. That's not cool. Uh, it was humiliating. And then, to make matters worse, come to find out, this whole Matt herpes thing doesn't just, like, go away. When you get it, you have it for life. Uh, now, Matt herpes can lie dormant for long periods of time, and it can become active at different seasons. Uh, those are called flare-ups. You're learning a lot more about herpes than you ever thought you would. Um, but flare-ups can happen. And so, when it comes this time of year, I'm like, guess what? There's a chance that a flare-up might happen. 
Change of seasons can create flare-ups, like extreme weather changes, say for example, 90 degrees down to 40 degrees, it's happening. Uh, seasons of high stress or low sleep, fall retreat, come on. Uh, seasons of sickness, I have three little kids who all have colds right now, and so I'm like, guess what? I'm at high risk of a flare-up, so what do I have to do? I have to take the medicine before symptoms show up to help fight it off and make sure it doesn't come back. Now, I assume most of you have never had mat herpes. I at least hope you haven't. That would suck. Um, but you have pretended in some way, shape, or form, or you've minimized a sickness or an injury. Like, let's rewind just three years ago, COVID. Uh, the first time you had COVID, I'm assuming all of you have had it by now, you were like, it's not COVID, right? Like, come on, I just have a cold. And before you know it, you're like freaking dead <laughs> for a week. And it's like, yo, you have COVID, stay home, right? You minimized it. For all you athletes in the room, I'm assuming you've had an injury at some point in your career that you just tried to pretend wasn't that bad. You're just like, oh, I'll just tape it up. I'll ace wrap it, it's not that bad. And before you know it, you're having surgery. It's just what we tend to do. We minimize or we ignore issues that are really wrong because we don't want to face how wrong they might be. And we don't just do this with our physical health. Uh, you're not going to be surprised to hear me say this because you're in a church. We do this spiritually. We do this spiritually. We all have a sickness, a disease that the Bible calls sin. This desire to rebel against God. We were born that way. You didn't have to be taught. How to sin against God, it comes naturally to you. And if you don't believe me, hang out with little kids. You'll find out. Uh, sin comes naturally to us. But if you stop and just ask yourself, how sinful are you? You'd probably say, I'm not that sick, you know? I'm not that sinful. I mean, I think about myself early years in college. I'm like, oh, I'm not like those people. I've never killed anybody. I'm not doing meth, right? Like, I'm not that bad, uh, and then I came to know Jesus late my junior year of college, and by the, that was in March of 2013. By June of 2013, I was feeling even better about myself, right? I was like, oh, I'm no longer watching porn, I'm no longer swearing, I'm no longer chewing tobacco, all of these things that I was doing, and I was like, oh, I'm not that bad, I'm really not that sinful. And then I was sitting by a lake in Emmitsburg, Iowa. Anybody from Emmitsburg in here? That's a random ask. But uh, I was in Emmitsburg sitting at the lake reading my Bible, and I was in 1 John, 1 John 1. And I came across this verse that says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And I was rocked. I was like, okay, one of two things has to be true. Either... I actually don't know Jesus, and the last three months of my life have been a complete lie, or this sickness called sin runs a lot deeper than I know. So the question is, are we not that sick, or is it possible that we're actually not dealing with the disease of sin? Maybe we're just doing symptom management. Let me make it a little more personal for you. Are you aware of what's actually going on inside of you? 
Are you aware of the disease of sin that is waging war on your life, or are you just treating the surface-level symptoms? Because Salt Company, this disease runs deep, and it's out to kill you. It's out to kill you. Um, another sickness that kills people, Matt Herpes doesn't kill people, but you know what will? Heart disease. And some of the initial symptoms of blocked or clogged arteries are back pain, vision change, and an inability to sleep. And so if you just say, hey, I'm going to treat the symptoms, I'm going to go to a chiropractor, I'm going to get a pair of glasses, and I'm going to start taking melatonin every night, you know what's going to happen, right? You're going to die. You're going to die because you have a heart issue. You don't have back pain issue. You have a heart issue. You don't have vision issues, you have a heart issue. You don't have sleep issues, you have a heart issue. And the same is true with our sin. It runs so much deeper than what the surface shows. We have a heart issue. And so, the question we have to ask is, how do we actually deal with the heart? How do we deal with the disease of sin and not just treat the symptoms? We're going to be in Matthew 5, so if you have a Bible, open it up. If you're looking on your phone, look it up. Matthew chapter 5, we're in week 3 of our Sermon on the Mount series called A Life Worth Living. Right? This is all about how to live a life that is dedicated to and pleasing to God. How to live life the way we were made to. And last week, Jake talked through salt and light. This idea of contrast. Jesus came to offer something better, something different. In kind of this last section that comes before the text we get to tonight, he's talking about how he did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. He did not come to do away with the Old Testament, but actually to fulfill it in his righteousness. And he's here to teach us what the heart of the law in the Old Testament was all about from the very beginning. And so what we're about to see is you just jump into the next several sections in the Sermon on the Mount, is you're going to see a line that sounds something like, you have heard it said. You have heard it said. Jesus does it six different times. And what he's doing when he says, you have heard it said, is he is addressing a popular understanding of the Old Testament law. Or maybe more appropriately, he's addressing a popular misunderstanding of the Old Testament law. People that have heard the law said one way, and they're misapplying it. So Jesus is here to get to the heart of what's actually going on here. We're going to read Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 21. The Word of God says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Any murderers in here? All right, we'll try this again in a minute. All right, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Here's what Jesus is saying. It's not just if you have actually murdered someone. Have you ever been angry with someone? All right, we got a room full of murderers here. That's what Jesus is saying. It's insane. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly 
with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Verse 27, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. I won't make you raise your hand on this one. (laughs) Uh, But I say to you, that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. This is insane. Like, Jesus is peeling back a previous understanding and misunderstanding of the law, and he wants to get to the heart of this disease called sin. We need to see three things together tonight in order for us to appropriately deal with our disease. All right, we're going to put the the big ideas kind of on the screen for you to track along with if you're a note taker. Here's the first one. We are extremely sinful. We are extremely sinful. Verses 21 and 22, you know, he says, oh, you've never murdered? Okay, pat yourself on the back. Have you ever been angry at someone? Have you ever insulted somebody? All right, now you're a murderer. (laughs) Right? Verses 27 and 28, oh, you've never committed adultery? Okay, pat yourself on the back. Have you ever looked at somebody with lustful intent? Now you're an adulterer, right? Jesus is getting at really unpacking what he said in verses 19 and 20. When he talks about these scribes and Pharisees who were relaxing the commandments, and then he calls us, disciples of Jesus, to a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. He's saying, okay, here's what the scribes and the Pharisees have done to you. They have taught you that this is only an external matter. It's only about what you do. Jesus is here to say, it's so much more than that. It's not just about your actions. It's about your attitude. It's about your heart posture. It's not just about what you do. It's about what you desire. It's not just about what's on the outside. It's what's on the inside. And he sees right through us. He sees right through us. Let's start by talking about anger. Right? This idea that anger can be a desire to see damage done. Whether that's a real consequence. I mean, this comes up in my life, being brutally honest with you. When I'm driving and people suck at driving, and I'm like, oh, I can't wait till they get a ticket, you know? And I'm like, ugh, I hope you, you know, I hope you get stuck at a stoplight or whatever. Um, I wish much worse upon them. Let's be real. Um, You know, or when it comes to insults, you just want to damage their character. You want to damage their character. Even if you're not voicing that to somebody else, you do it behind closed doors to make you feel better about yourself. You want to tear other people down so you feel better about yourself. And I understand there's people in this room that you might say, oh, I don't have an anger problem. It's just not true. We deal with anger in different ways, and I've seen this very clearly having two three-year-olds. One of my kids deals with anger in what I would call a hot anger, hot anger. 
This is seen in outbursts, right? Fits, he just rages, like today. Came home from daycare, and he wanted carbonated water. The stuff is awful. But he wanted carbonated water, and you know what he did? He threw a fit. He yelled at us until he got his way. And guess what? Yelling doesn't get your way in the Howell household. So he yelled for a long time. This hot anger, it's seen in outbursts or fits, outspoken irritability. Maybe you're an arguer or a complainer. Guess what? You have an anger issue. But maybe you're like, oh, I'm not that type of person. I would say, you're right. You're more like my other son who has cold anger, cold anger. And his anger is more expressed in distance, in silence. Right? When I do something that upsets Blaze, he doesn't yell at me. He runs to the other room. And he pouts. And he sits in the corner. And he might not ever yell at me, but here's what he might do. The next time something comes up, he'll bring up the issue. He'll say, remember when? Remember when you did this? Remember when you did that? And so, yeah, maybe you're not a hot, anger type of person, but maybe you have bitterness problems. It's not about you going and raging at somebody. It's that you just won't even talk to them anymore. And maybe it's not that you're really outspoken, complaining about what's wrong in your life, but you have a blaming problem. Everything in the world is somebody else's problem, and you're there to remind everyone about it. You have an anger problem. And I do want to say, it's worth noting that anger in and of itself, in most cases, does not have to be a sin thing. Right? The definition of anger is passionate opposition to something that is determined to be both important and wrong. Because we're made in God's image, we're actually made to be able to say, this is right and this is wrong. The problem is it's frequently perverted. Right? We should get angry at things like school shootings and genocides. We should get angry at the reality that there is massive starvation across the face of the earth while we are an obese nation. Like, that should create within us this sense of passionate opposition to something that is important and wrong. But if we're honest with ourselves, Salt Company, our anger is not frequently righteous. It's proud and arrogant and sinful. And I feel so disqualified to teach this. Right? When I think about how easy it is for me to get angry with my kids. I think a, a good and godly parent would get angry with their kids that aren't listening because they would say, this is an offense against a holy God, and as my kids don't listen to me, what they're going to learn is that they don't know how to respect authority, and it's going to damage their life. But I twist it. I'm so quick to twist it, and it's about me I get angry because they're not listening to me and they're disrupting my comfort and my convenience. And so something that should be good and honoring to God is now sinful. And before God, I now stand guilty as a murderer because I've been angry with my kids. It's insane. And now let's talk about adultery. And I, I don't need to spend a lot of time here because most of you in the room know that this is a problem. Looking with lustful intent. Wow. I mean, raw data tells me that 94% of college students are sexually active, 
and over 75% of college students are currently engaging in online sexual entertainment. Think we have a lust issue? Yeah, we do. It's huge. And it's, it's not hard to have a lust issue in this culture. Sex sells. It's everywhere. It's in commercials. It's in the books you read, the songs you listen to, the movies you watch. You're consuming a diet of sexual entertainment. I mean, we're not, we're not even getting to what Jesus is actually talking about, which is just like this inner desire, a passionate burning, a focus on self that wants to fulfill your own desires no matter what the cost. It's a heart issue. We look at people and treat them as objects. And this isn't just a guys to girls thing. This is women to men, too. You're on campus, and you see someone that's attractive, and instantly you're thinking about their looks. You're not thinking about their heart. Your eyes wander, your mind wanders, and before you know it, you are over the deep end in lust. It doesn't mean that you need to go and actually commit a sexual act with them to be an adulterer. The question is, do you have a sexual craving in your heart that you are turning around? Yes, you do. All of us have done it. Maybe we're more sick than we recognize. Which brings us to the second point. Our sin has extreme consequences. Extreme consequences. Now, before I even get to what the text says, anger and lust are destroying us. They're destroying us. Like, left untreated, people that have anger issues and lust issues end up in psych wards and prisons. No one wakes up one day and says, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to beat my spouse. Or I'm going to abuse a child. Or I'm going to engage in child pornography. Nobody wakes up and does that. It's a slow drift into this place of, Rebellion and destruction. Anger and lust are tearing families apart. Divorce is rampant. Friends turn into enemies pretty quickly. And this is not just out there in the world. Churches are dividing over anger and lust issues. Pastors are disqualifying themselves from ministry, pursuing sexual fantasies. And then they go start churches called Second Chance Church, and people will follow their lead and follow a sexually immoral pastor who hasn't repented. This is insane. It is tearing us up. And I, I don't mean to beat the, the pornography issue too hard, but here's the problem. It is so rampant amongst college students that I would be wrong not to address it. And this is coming from somebody that watched pornography from the time I was 12 to the time I was 21. So hear me when I say, I've been there. What most pornography users do not know is you are helping fuel the sex trafficking industry. You might not have even thought about it. But the reality of the underlying feeding system of pornography is human trafficking. There are huge issues all around us, but the consequences are also within us. They're within us. We're isolated. 
You know, we've, we've cut off ties in relationships because we're angry at people. Maybe we're so ashamed about the things that we've done that we've just started to distance ourselves. The more that you engage in sexual immorality, it actually impacts your ability to feel real pleasure and real joy, to enjoy intimate relationships in other ways, whether that's friendships or romantic. And along the way, these are frequently accompanied by depression and anxiety because you end up on an island. You're full of shame. No one's around. And you actually get to the spot where you struggle to be alone with yourself. Now, if those weren't extreme consequences enough, did you even notice what the consequences are in this text? Like, verses 22, 29, 30. Verse 22, all right. Everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Whoa. Holy smokes. All right, 29 and 30, right? If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. It's better to lose a member than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. He says the same thing about cutting your hand off. It's better to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. And the understanding of the Old Testament law actually was this. If you are a murderer or an adulterer, here is your just punishment, the death penalty. If you were convicted of murder or convicted of adultery, you were put to a real physical death, the death penalty. And what Jesus is saying is, yeah, the Old Testament practiced this in a physical sense. Here's what's true spiritually. If you have been angry with your brother if you have hurled insults, if you have looked with lustful intent upon a man or a woman, here is your just punishment, hell. Not just a physical death, but an eternal death, separation from God forever. That is your consequence. It's your punishment. And that's what takes us to this third point, which is this, our sin requires extreme action, extreme action. If we see how sinful we are and we see how destructive it can be that it leads not just to widespread destruction around us, you know, huge issues within us, but this consequence of hell, we need to do something about it, right? I mean, the examples he gives for anger, he gives two examples here. The first is talking about when you show up to worship. Guess what? You're here at a worship service tonight. It's a good thing to sing praises to our God. It was a good thing for these people to show up and offer a gift at the altar, to bring their sacrifice to God. That was a great thing. People would show up and say, I want to prioritize my vertical relationship with God. And here's what Jesus says. Hey, actually, before you prioritize this vertical relationship with God, go make things right with your brother. In brother language here, he's talking about with other Christians. That's his primary context because he's thinking about other Christians are gathering to worship. So if you've made somebody angry or if you're angry with somebody, maybe that's you tonight, here's what Jesus would tell you to do. Go make it right before you sing another song. 
Wow. Must be important, right? And then he talks about this, like, court matter. Come to terms quickly. If you have a physical Bible, under, underline that, learn, that, uh, that term quickly. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court. And then he talks about, if you leave it to the courts, this is going to end up in even more destruction. So here's what you should do. Go work it out amongst yourselves. If you want more information on how Christians should handle lawsuits, go look at 1 Corinthians 6. Especially amongst the family of God, he's saying, hey, you guys need to figure it out. Right? You have the same God. You guys have been forgiven by the same Jesus you belong to people that have the word of God and the counsel of God. Get together and figure it out. And if you need to lose, lose. Choose to lose rather than going to court. But the emphasis here is take responsibility and do something quickly. Make it right. And then he, he unpacks lust in its extreme language, right? Gouge your right eye out. Cut your right hand off. Any lefties in here? hey, our lifespan is shorter, you know, that's just part of it. Because the right side, even in biblical day, was seen to be more powerful and more important. Probably because more people were right-handed, <laughs> right? And he's saying, cut off your more important hand and gouge out your more important eye. But Jesus wasn't, he wasn't being literal here. So please, don't leave here today and do that. That's a terrible idea. He's using these these body parts here to, to paint a picture, right? When it comes to lust, your eye is often where temptation starts. Your eyes wander. And then the hand is often what is used to act upon the temptation. So Jesus is saying, hey, avoid temptation at all costs. Guard your eyes and get your hands out of your pants. No, out of, out of the picture. Um, here's what he's saying. Avoid temptation at all costs. We talked about this on Sunday. James 1, verses 14 and 15, they'll be on the screen. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Jesus is saying, hey, you have a sinful heart that is easily tempted and when you are tempted, you're going to then give way to sin. And here's what sin is going to give way to, death. Stay away from temptation. Be willing to give up things of great value if they're leading you to sin. And that's a charge for us tonight. Like, give up social media if it's causing you to sin. Maybe you need to give up your phone in general like, you need to have someone else in your connection group set a password on your phone that locks it down for you to not access the stuff you want to access. Maybe you're in an immoral relationship tonight with a boyfriend or girlfriend, and you need to set more firm boundaries to say, we're not going to hang out alone anymore. Give up things of great value if they're leading you into sin. But here's the problem, Salt Company. You don't just need new habits. You need a new heart. You don't just need new habits, you need a new heart. Jesus is revealing here a great need to the scribes and the Pharisees, the people that were trying to do all the right things on the outside. He says, it's not about what you have going on on the outside, it's about your heart. And Jesus knows 
that we actually don't have the ability to give ourselves a new heart. So here's what he did. He took extreme action. He took extreme action. He left the throne of heaven, came down, became a baby, took on human flesh, lived perfectly for more than 30 years, and then he died in your place. He took your sin on his shoulders. He took the wrath of God on his head. He bore extreme consequences. He was humiliated, tortured, killed. He took extreme consequences on his head. Why? Because he would not leave us in an extremely sinful state. And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus did not just take extreme action and bear an extreme consequence to give you better instructions for life. He didn't just do this to forgive you and help you avoid death. He lived He died and he resurrected to give you a new heart, to actually change your life and to give you new desires, right? Old Testament prophecies pointed forward to this day where God would remove a heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Countless times in the New Testament, you see this imagery, the old you is dead and gone, the new is here. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus, Romans 6 paints this picture of the sin that used to kill you, you now have the power to kill. The tables have turned. This is what Jesus has done for us. So, with this reality in hand, let's go back to the initial question. How do we deal with the disease of sin? I'll tell you two things you need to do. Number one, you need heart surgery. You need heart surgery. You need to stop trying to fix it alone. Stop doing symptom management. And trust in the finished work of Jesus. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. You will be given a new heart, new desires that actually long to not just avoid sin, but to honor God with your life. You need heart surgery. But if you're in the room tonight and you're like, hey, I've had heart surgery, here's what you need. You need health promotion. You need to stop selling grace short. And start fighting for your relationship with God. Grace is not your get out of jail free card. It's meant to be the fuel on the flame of honoring God with all of life. You actually would wake up each day and not think about how do I not get angry or how do I not lust. You're not even thinking that. You're saying, God, you are better than life. How can I honor you today? How can I please you today? You could say it this way. How do we deal with the disease of sin? Receive a new heart from God and respond from the heart for God. Receive a new heart from God and respond from the heart for God. And I want to come back to this Matt Herpes illustration. Bear with me. I think it's actually really helpful to understand our relationship with sin. Because Matt Herpes is a lot like living the Christian life. Um, I had a, another pastor tell me a few years ago, you know, when Jesus died and resurrected, here's what he did. He declared sin powerless, but he did not do away with it. He declared sin powerless, but he did not do away with it. And so if you follow Jesus for any amount of time, you've understand there's still sin in there. Guess what? 
I still have herpes to this day. Hasn't gone away. But you know what I have? I have the treatment. You know how I got here. Here's what I had to do first. I had to acknowledge my diagnosis. You need to do that tonight. Acknowledge your diagnosis. Stop treating the symptoms. One way you can do this is as you look at the surface level issue of your sin, start asking why five times. I got really angry today. Why did you get angry? Because this person cut me off on the road. Why did that bother me? Climb down the ladder five times and start dealing with your heart, not the symptoms. Acknowledge your diagnosis. Secondly, seek medical attention. (laughs) Seek medical attention. This is twofold. First and foremost, you need to go to God. He's the great physician. He's the one that can give you a new heart. He's the one that has the power to forgive your sins. Bring your sin to him and say, God, here is why I'm angry. This is not just an anger issue. This is a control issue. This is a pride issue. Please forgive me. This is not just a lust issue. I have an affection issue. I have a belonging issue. Please forgive me. And he will. He will forgive you. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you. But here's what else God has given you. He's given you a care team all around you. Brothers and sisters who want to help you wage war on your sin, who want to refresh you in the gospel, right? James 5.16 tells us to confess our sins to one another. Why? So that we may be healed. That we may be healed. There's a healing power in going to a trusted friend and saying, I wanted to let you know that I've been struggling with this. Because here's what they get to do. They get to refresh you in the gospel, say, thank you so much. Jesus is not surprised. He died knowing that you would struggle with that, and he rose again to set you free from it. So how can I help you fight this sin? They'll remind you of your identity, and then they'll get in the game with you to fight against it. Seek medical attention. And lastly, I love this one, get ahead of (laughs) flare-ups. Get ahead of flare-ups. If you're honest, you know, you know the things that make you angry. You know the situations you're in that lust is going to rear its ugly head. Get ahead of it. Right? Get ahead of it. Leave your phone outside of your bedroom. I guarantee your issue is after seven at night in your bedroom alone with the door closed. Take the door off the hinges. I don't care what you got to do. Your, your issue with lust is when you're alone with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. Go hang out at scooters. You're not going to do something stupid in a booth, right? Like, get ahead of flare-ups. But one way that I've heard this talked about in fighting sin is to do two things. Number one, stop the bleeding, which are some of the things I just talked about. Really practical. Stop the bleeding, but then heal the wound. Heal the wound. You don't want to just treat the surface-level issue. You want to get to the heart of what's going on. And so, when you think about when you're tempted to lust or when you're tempted to get angry, maybe you need to cling to a scripture. You need to open up this pill jar, right? And you need to swallow a truth of scripture. That's what you need to do. You need to go to God's word and you need to say, I need to take my medicine for preventative flare-up, right? Something like 
Psalm 86:15. But you, O Lord, are a God of mercy and grace, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. You have been so patient with me. God, give me all that I need to be patient with other people. Maybe you need help with forgiveness. Romans 5, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God, I have, nobody has offended me as much as I have offended you and you forgave me. Give me all that I need to forgive the people around me, not be angry. Maybe with lust, it's a belonging issue. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You were bought with the precious blood of Jesus. You matter so much to God. You have belonging in him. Or maybe it's this pleasure pursuit. Psalm 1611, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Take that pill of scripture, swallow it down, apply it to your heart, and actually begin to believe it. And if we would do that, here's what would happen. This room would be marked with people that are like weirdly in love with Jesus. And I mean that in the best way possible. Like, people would look at us and say, you're weird. That happened in the New Testament with people that took Jesus seriously. Because Jake last week talked about, we want to be people that live differently. And guess what? If you want to live differently, you need different affections. You need a different lifestyle. Right? So to actually be people that say, yeah, I'm weird. I love Jesus so much that I hate my sin. I'm not getting near it. I won't even get close. And I just want to tell you, people are actually doing this. I met up with a friend last week who sat down with me and he said, Jordan, lust is ruining my marriage. And so by next week at Connection Group, I want you to make sure that I have a dumb phone. Because I can't do this anymore. I love God. This is getting in, my, in the way of my relationship with him. It's getting in the way of my relationship with my wife. I need to get a dumb phone. And it's going to make life miserable. But guess what? It's worth it. People are actually doing that. And guess what? His relationship with the Lord is going to be much better. <laughs> his marriage is going to be much healthier because he's taking God at his word. It's rooted in this desire to obey God and do whatever he needs to do to flee and fight sin. Would we be that type of people, Saul Company, that are just strangely in love with Jesus because he is better than life. Amen? Let's pray together. God, I thank you for tonight. Thank you for this text, which is a heavy hitter. It's, it's confronting, God, as I look at my anger, as I look at how easy it is for eyes to, to wander, our, our minds to turn over uh, these sexual cravings. It's convicting. God, we see the, the weight of our sin, but much more than that, God, tonight I pray that people would walk out not only feeling convicted of their sin, but comforted by forgiveness that is found in Christ. Jesus, you have promised in your word that you are faithful and just to forgive those who confess. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You took our condemnation on the cross, Jesus, so that we could walk in freedom. 
I pray that we would be a people that are marked by that, a people that have desires shaped by you, Jesus. We love you so much that we hate our sin. We don't want to get near it. And so help, help the angry in the room tonight. Help those that are filled with lustful intent to see you more clearly, to savor you, Jesus, because you are better than life. We pray this in your name. Amen.